Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are talking to our friend, Wendy Ahrens. She is an award-winning humorist, writer, and author who has written for McSweeney's, New Yorker, U.S. Weekly, and BuzzFeed. Wendy has won the Iris Award for Most Entertaining Writer, and Parents Magazine named her blog Funniest Parenting Blog. Wendy lives in Austin, Texas, where she also enjoys teaching comedy writing camps for kids. Her new book is... I'm wearing tunics now. I'm growing older, better, and a hell of a lot louder. Welcome, Wendy. Hi. It's so great to see you both or hear you both. (laughs) Good to see and hear you. Let's go back to the very beginning, the far back, way back times. Let's go back to your 30th birthday. (laughs) Okay. You start the book talking about turning 30. And it's a funny marker for the beginning of the book because it's like, yes, those were the days, right? Like how long being 30 and turning 30 and having that seem like old age at some point. Yeah. Old age and how I hysterically sobbed on that day thinking my life was almost over and I was a failure and 30. I mean, what an idiot. Yes. We probably have some 30-year-olds listening. Yes, we do have a lot of 30-year-old listeners who I'm sure are like, it's over. I'm No, I am old. Yeah, right. You don't understand. Right. And I'm sure there's 70 year olds listening to me complain about being 50. Yes. It's all perspective, right? Why do you think we do that to ourselves, Wendy? Why are we as women ready to, you know, I don't know, to do that at such a young age? Well, it's societal too. I mean, like where we have magazines that are like, she still looks great at 40. And, you know, and then there's some Kardashian on a paddleboard, but you're like, Men don't get that. It's just, yeah, I think it's societal and um, it doesn't help. And then, of course, there's personal things where you start to see your body changing and your appearance gets different. And it's just the, not to be fatalistic, but you just sort of come to terms with like, oh, you know, they're, this is going to get depressing. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're after in our humor memoirs. We're after really depressing. That's what people go for. I know, but just you start to, I guess, come to terms with your own mortality at a certain age. You just realize, like I write in the book, there's more road behind me than in front of me at age 50. I mean, I don't think I'll live to be 100. So, you know, it's it's just putting it in perspective, which is a good thing because then you realize you don't have time to waste and you shouldn't just put off things you've always wanted to do or speak up about things you have been quiet about 
until now. So I, I think it's a good thing. And you talk about an experience that Amy and I both had, and you capture it really well. I mean, for our listeners, not everybody was pursuing the Hollywood dream. We're out in LA to be, you know, win the Oscars and date George Clooney and drive our convertible on the PCH. And then you moved to Austin, you left Hollywood behind. This feeling then of your, you've gone from, no matter how successful or unsuccessful, a slightly glamorous life to being at home, sort of trapped in suburbia where you kind of feel like the ultimate square peg. Oh, 100%. And I think it's even tougher for somebody who was always such a striver like we were. Never knew in Hollywood, like the next day you might get a big break or, you know, it was always seemed that there was so much possibility. There was so much potential. I say to my husband all the time, it used to be that the phone would ring and it could be anybody. Like it could be the job. Like, and then the phone would ring. (laughs) Yeah. It used to be the phone would ring. There you go. (laughs) Amy. (laughs) I'm dating myself, but it's true. And it could be anybody because there was no caller ID. (laughs) It could literally be anybody. But it felt like you were living this life of endless potential. And then suddenly you're home with kids and it's like nothing exciting is going to happen today. Maybe the baby will roll off the bed. But other than that, like nothing exciting will happen. Yeah, no, exactly. And it was just the, you know, the days were surprising in ways because kids are growing and you never knew what to expect, but also very boring as far as just a professional accomplishment type of way. Like I write in the book, I was suddenly surrounded by other suburban women and they were fine. They just were such a big change from the people I'd been hanging out with in LA where I would get in huge, like two hour long debates about a certain film. And then all of a sudden I'm talking to women who are talking about the latest cute animated movie. And I'm like, what is happening? I missed that type of relationship. And, you know, now I look back and think that I had what I needed at the time, I guess, you know, I was very focused on the kids. And it wasn't until I got a little older and started to meet people like you two through writing that I fulfilled that part of my friendship need. So you moved from LA to Austin, which I think of Austin as being a completely creative hotbed. It's cool people with queso. But when you're home with little kids, first of all, it's probably changed since you were a mom of very small kids. But how was I found LA to be a very lonely place? Was Austin sort of more welcoming as a place to be a parent of small kids? No, it was a great place to be a parent of small kids. When my kids were small, they we used to have to drive them around to get them to sleep. I would drive around Austin like I I looked like I was casing houses because we would drive around so much. And I always thought like this would never work in L.A. because you can't drive 50 miles an hour in L.A. for very long unless you're in the movie Speed and you're on a bus. So I, I always thought of that, like I would just be trapped on the 405 with the kids screaming in the background. I couldn't raise a kid in L.A. But yeah, Austin was a lot more family focused. I think back then there was always an activity to go to. It was easy. People were very nice. And, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to raise my kids anywhere else. But you talk about and this experience that I relate to a lot is like that back to high school vibe of having young kids. So I did raise my kids in L.A. until they were about you know, elementary school age. I lived in a kind of funny borderline neighborhood, but I would end up at pickup with like the moms in like silver bikini tops coming from Pilates and they would kind of give me the once over on what I was wearing. And I'm like really feeling again for the first time, like that kid in the cafeteria with a tray and like, where are my people and really struggling 
to fit in and it bringing back those high school feelings of I'm not popular, I'm not liked, I can't find my people in the cafeteria. Yeah. And I I say in the book that, you know, this happened to me in a Texas suburb, but it could have happened in the hippest neighborhood in Brooklyn or a fancy school in Paris, because the only thing you have in common with these other moms is that you reproduced at the same time. So maybe you get lucky and you find somebody you click with, but maybe you don't. It's kind of like a coworker relationship almost where you just only have the one thing in common and that's the kids in the school and you don't necessarily connect on a humor level or a things you like to go do level, all of that. So yeah, if you do find a mom friend, latch onto her. Don't you think it's universal that, I mean, each of us have had this experience of, oh, everybody else is getting this and everybody else gets along and vibes with this mom thing and I'm just not getting it and much of myself has been left behind. I think that's much more common. What I'm trying to say is each one of us feels like, oh my God, look at everybody else getting this except me and I'm on the outside and I'm the one standing with the tray when everybody else is completely integrated and and loving their lives. Everybody inside is the person with the tray, like only I stand outside this experience, but we all think everybody else is getting it. That's part of the problem. Maybe people who read this book who knew me back then would be like, really? She felt like she was an outsider because I didn't have that perception. Yeah. I bet that's right. I bet they were probably like, wow, she was the cool mom, you know, and we were all kind of envious of who she'd been and where she was coming from. And yeah. Yeah. So that's a good lesson on just your perspective. Like, don't think that you're the only weirdo that doesn't get things, you know, maybe you are, but. The other thing you capture really well, I feel like is this sort of, it's like a passive integration into a life that you don't necessarily want to be part of. I love this quote, nature abhors a vacuum. The PTO abhors a woman trying to figure out her pathetic life when she could instead be cutting out construction paper decorations. The default is, well, I guess now I'm the person who plans the class play party, although I have no aptitude for that at all. It's not something I should be doing, but the lady with the clipboard caught me at drop-off, and now I find myself in this role, like a passive like new life that you didn't really sign up for. No, and it's amazing. It's just the fact that I gave birth doesn't mean I know how to order a chocolate fountain for the preschool party. Like I don't have that skill, but it feels like everybody else did, or maybe they were also confused like I was. But yeah, it's a passive thing. And like I write in the book, I didn't want my behavior to reflect poorly on my kids. And you want your kids to have friends. So you go along, you want the teachers to like you. So it's a little bit of a PR move on a mom's part that you have to push your best face forward and go along to get along type thing. Yeah. And that's that lunch tray thing gives you that feeling. I got to get in with the mom so that my kid has a shot at the good birthday parties or whatever the heck is going through your mind. I think when you're isolated with young kids, that stuff can get very heavy very quickly. It can also feel like, don't you think that this is my life now, basically, that this is all there is from here on out. It's chocolate fountains and small talk at the preschool drop off. I live here now. It will never be different. (laughs) And the three of us can be on the other side like, ha ha, remember that crazy? That was a crazy time in my life. I wouldn't go back. Ha ha. But when you're in it, you totally lack perspective that there's another side ever. Oh, I think I have a line in there like this is my life now trapped on a couch listening to two women talk about their push presents from the religious jewelry store. It's like, no, that's it. I blew the rest (laughs) of my chances with an exciting life. And here I am. Yeah. 
But that's not true. It's not true. No, no, no. Is the message of your book that there's a part two after all the chocolate fountains and the push presents? Yeah, of course there is. Absolutely. All right. We're talking to Wendy Ahrens, the author of I'm Wearing Tunics Now, and we'll be back right after this. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. We're back with Wendy Ahrens. Okay, let's talk about the other side. So how old were your kids when you got to a point where you felt like you could sort of refine yourself or find the new self or whatever happens next once you're out of that crazy time in your life? They were in grade school, I believe. And my finding the other side of my life didn't happen right away. It was a slower process. Mm. And you were both there at the dark ages of blogging. So you remember where we all just found each other feeling around in the dark and like, is anybody else out there that's funny and that's a mom and that I can relate to? So it was just slowly starting to write and to dip my toe into the creative area. And honestly, it was finding other women like me around the country that changed my life. We just all had that same desire to connect and to express ourselves in ways we weren't doing in our real life. 
So that was it. And that started with a piece that people have probably read, which was your letter to Always. Yeah, to Always Maxi Pads. Tell us about that. I had never really written satire before. And there was a website I loved reading called McSweeney's. And they had a category called open letters to entities or people who will most likely never respond. One Christmas trip, we were in the Reno airport and I was in the bathroom and I had cramps and just this miserable travel day. And I opened up an always maxi pad and on the little uh, sticker on it, it said, have a happy period. (laughs) And as I say in the book, like I knew I just struck gold and this was my watershed moment standing next to a public toilet that smelled like cigarettes. (laughs) You never know when those life changing moments are going to come. Never know. This is such a crazy, ridiculous, patronizing thing for them to say to women. So I went and wrote a really funny open letter to a fictional product manager at Procter & Gamble. And yeah, it went viral. And this was before Facebook and Twitter even existed. So people were emailing it or like printing it out and snail mailing it. It was crazy. But that was like the shot in the arm I needed that said, okay, I can reach people with my funny voice and I can make a point at the same time. I'm not just like writing something silly. I'm like really feel like this is how you talk to women. This is not how you market to women. And that was before there was a lot of outraged feminist humor online. So I think it really struck a nerve at the time. And then people were trying to find me after the letter came out. So that's when I started the blog and then the blog led to everything else. Can I say I love the idea that your mom carries a printout of that piece in her purse. (laughs) She does. And shows it to checkers to be like, my daughter wrote this. I think we all had a very similar experience of starting to write and starting to blog and trying to put our voice out there. And for a long time, it was like my mom, my mother-in-law, and got a shout out to Kerrville, Texas, like my husband's high school friends who were reading it. I think for a lot of us, right, it starts with just trying something. And I mean, my blog never did very well, but I kept going. I met a lot of people. It led to other things. It's how I reconnected with Amy. That ability to start putting yourself out there, I feel like it's such a valuable thing for women who are in this very lost phase. 100%. And by the way, I loved shortfatdictator.com. Thank you. That was my blog. I mean, it's still up. So I think if you go to shortfatdictator.com, it's still there. You know, one thing I did, I was always a little bit shy in real life, but I wasn't online. And in fact, that's how I met Amy. I read her book. And then I reached out to you, if you remember. And we were doing a party in New York called the Maldi Housewives Party or something. Yes, yes. And you know, I'm like, I'll send her an email, you know, that's, I, she's interesting and funny and I want to meet her. And the, the blog gave me such an avenue to do that with people. And I still do it. If I read a piece that I think is really funny or I, I really respond to it, I'll send the author an email, you know, why not? And, and it's just widening your circle and acknowledging somebody's contribution. And then sometimes it leads to a, a decent relationship. Did you know that you were funny? I mean, was that something you grew up knowing about yourself? Did you find it at this point? No, I liked humor a lot, but I was always very quiet. I was more of the person who would whisper a funny joke to a friend and then the friend would say it out loud. And then I'd be like, (laughs) you know, so I was, I'm not, unlike you two, I'm not a performer. I don't like getting up, you know, I've done it more just because of the nature of 
my writing, but I don't like performing. So I never really thought that I could pursue humor and just did it more quietly. I loved humor. I was a comedy nerd. In fact, the other book I had come out this year called Ginger Mancino, Kid Comedian, that's sort of my love letter to when I was a 12-year-old comedy nerd and didn't know how to fit in with the other kids with my humor. And I think a lot of girls still, when they're 12 to 13, lose that real goofy weirdness they had. And I know I did. And it took me until I was in my 40s to get it back. You think you're supposed to. You think you're supposed to not be goofy and weird, right? Or real or honest or edgy. Those are all things that we're going to sand off so that boys will like us better. And boys are the funny ones. They're the class clowns. They're the ones that get attention. And girls are just strange and, you know, weird. And I had like the wit I have now. I had the same kind of wit when I was 12. So, you know, I remember making like acerbic comments about Richard Nixon in sixth grade that nobody got. <laughs> so I, I guess I've been playing the long game here. Yes. That Nixon material would slay in any club now. Yeah. <laughs> sixth grade. They were rolling in the aisles. Another thing that you talk about in the book, which I think is something that so many women face, is going back and trying to find a job at middle age. So many women I know who now are home with kids and, you know, maybe work part time. They're going back and just finding all sorts of different jobs. But these people were on very different tracks 10 years ago. You know, they were editing magazines and they were lawyers trying to find their way back as an older person. I mean, Amy, Amy and I have had some of these meetings in our new life where you kind of walk into the New York City office at its open floor plan, reams of 20-year-old dudes in backwards baseball caps, and you're just like, womp womp like my printed dress is not fitting in in this uh space right but in those moments i mean rightly or wrongly you're like oh they're gonna hate me this isn't gonna work and usually we're right probably unfortunately they're gonna assume that a woman of a certain age can't have anything fresh or exciting to offer but we're counting ourselves out there must be some part of it that we're that we're doing to ourselves when we count ourselves out too quickly yeah, I agree. And I, I think when I was interviewing, it was extremely humbling. And I also knew when it was happening that it was really good material. So I didn't hate it. <laughs> You're like, this will make a good McSweeney's piece. This is a good McSweeney's piece. And I did write, I have a very good New Yorker piece that came out of it called, We Can't Ask Your Age in This Job Interview, But Please Take Our Quiz About Rotary Phones. <laughs> um, which is in the book. I think women who are returning to the workforce like I did need to think about and optimize the skills they have learned by being moms and being and staying at home. I'm a really good organizational person now compared to how I used to be. And maybe it's because of all of those preschool parties or whatever. Like I never knew how to do anything like that or management or, I mean, we are the masters of multitasking and delegating. I think we all need to remember that. And, you know, all three of us are not exactly out of touch women. We know what's going on in current society. We have kids who also keep us informed of what's going on. So I think we all do bring fresh ideas. And it's just a matter of getting over ourselves, like Amy said, and, you know, just being confident in presenting these ideas and our experience to the younger workforce. I mean, that's not all it takes. 
I think that's right. I went back to work in my 40s at a major media company with a colleague. I had a job share. She was also had been out of the workforce for 15 years. And we would be in the elevator and I'm like, do not say the word fax today. Do not say the word fax today. Like people have not used a fax machine in 10 years. You have a really funny bit in the book about the apps and like what you know and what you don't know. Oh, I know. And I think it's true that it's not whether or not you know how to use the right TikTok filter that you can't really catch up on some levels, but there are ways in which having that confidence and different kinds of experience can actually serve you going back into the workforce. Oh, 100%. And I say that at this point in our lives, we know that nobody's going to have their life end if Brittany K doesn't get the metrics report to Brittany P by four o'clock. You know, it's not landing the space shuttle. And we've all dealt with having a baby throw up down our back while your toddler's having diarrhea. And if you can get through that, then you can handle going to a weekly staff meeting. But it does make me mad sitting here listening. You go through this stuff whether you leave the workforce while your kids are little or not, you're managing this this stuff, the overwhelm of life with little kids. You do your time. You're coming to a place where you can focus on you, your career, what you want, what you enjoy. And as soon as you show up, it's like, womp, womp, printed dress, you're too old. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Where was my second renaissance, right? You're considered to be unworthy for a different reason. Now you're too old as soon as you get back into the workforce. And it's preposterous and it's unfair, but it, it is there. Oh, 100%. And I say that in the book that I wound up getting a job through a friend who worked for other women our age and I'm utilizing all of the social media experience I learned on my own since 2007. And they respect that. I call it the good old ladies network. But that's how I've gotten jobs and my friends have gotten jobs. And we've all just had to create our own opportunities like you all did with your podcast. If you think about all of the things that you did in your life, I was in advertising. I was a film major. If I put all that together, I can kind of see how it led to what I'm doing now in a way where you're like, oh, yeah, I thought that film degree was useless, but I wound up having to write a script for this advertising thing I'm doing. It all seems to kind of come together, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> or maybe you do something completely different and start designing jewelry. I don't know. Yeah, you have to find your second act for sure. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the third act. Middle age, the bad, the worse, the great. We know a little bit about it. We're talking to Wendy Ahrens and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. 
Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own, and today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. I have to lead by saying that this book contains the greatest movie pitch I've ever read. And I was an executive in Hollywood for a while. And you talk about middle-aged women, you talk about going to Vegas and being invisible and that the new like Oceans movie should be middle-aged women committing a heist because no one pays attention to them and they're completely invisible. (laughs) Someone needs to write that movie. Heist committed by moms is the greatest movie pitch I've ever heard because who pays attention to moms? Nobody. I went there to see a Manilow show with two friends and we were wearing our custom-made Manilow <laughs> t-shirts. Nice. Huge. <laughs> got zero attention. I mean, it's giving me too much bravado. At one point, I almost got punched out in the casino because I'm just walking in front of bros because I don't care. They're not going to... Yeah. No blanks left to give. Nope, nope. And they didn't even see me until they almost tripped over me. So yes, I would love to do that movie. And I think the three of us should just pitch it. First, we should do the heist and get the money. Yes. Let's skip the movie. Let's just do the heist. Good. And finance our own movie. (laughs) Who needs to write a movie script (laughs) and try to sell it? Amy, that's why you're a genius. I'm a genius. I want to hear a little bit more about your Manilow fandom, which I know to be vast and quite sincere. It is quite sincere. And um, I'm surprised you two haven't gone to a show with me yet. But I love it because I've always loved Barry Manilow. And it was kind of something I kept quiet. And then once you get older, you're like, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to get Manilow put on my business cards, which I did. I think he's cool. I'm not even going to say I like him ironically, because I truly do love Barry Manilow. He has two new hips now, which is great news. I have a story for you that involves middle age and Barry Manilow. My sister just suffered. Everyone knows my sister, fans of Kate on the podcast, shout out. She was recently injured performing Copacabana at karaoke. She got a little too shaky in the hip area and she threw out her hip and could not walk for a month. Oh my God. She had to get urgent care medical intervention. Just from performing Copacabana. So the, I'm just saying, Manolo fans, use caution. Use caution. Also, I don't know why she and I aren't like hanging out all the time. Yeah, you should be besties for sure, because there's a dance break and she just started the rumba and it got a little out of control and the hip went one way and she went the other way. And she's been in medical attention now for several weeks. So I'm just putting it out there for the Manahos. Just use some caution. It can get you in ways you're not expecting. Don't be a real life Lola the showgirl. Yeah, now she just sits with faded feathers in her hair. And uh, it's a sad tale. It's the feeling of like, 
you just feel like yourself in the inside and then use passive mirror and you're like, whoa, who is that person? I feel like the pandemic stole my last two years of hotness from me. On a great day, if everything was locking into place, I could still turn a head or two, not all the heads. And then we went into lockdown and I turned 50. I've emerged as just like the wizened old crone in the grocery store who's screaming, enjoy it while it lasts at young mothers. And I don't, it just happened during the pandemic. I 100% agree. It's like overnight sometimes where you spoil like a side beef left out too long. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I was just That's about to cook Hopeful that. look forward. It looked fine yesterday, <laughs> and now it's grisly. Yes. Well, I have a, a story in the book about, you know, how this is biological and men just will look at... We love a biological imperative on this podcast. Yes. They give their attention to who can carry on their DNA. And as I say, I won't carry on anybody's DNA at this point unless I'm trapped in a sheep cloning laboratory at Texas a Right. That's screenplay. Which could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Or they unearth you in future centuries. Yeah. That's true. It's a lot of screenplays on offer here today. <laughs> There's like a struggle phase that, I mean... It might last a long time. I feel like I'm still in it. But when you can come out of the like, yes, yeah, so what? Right. I, I feel like I'm not quite at yes, yeah, so what yet. But there's got to be something good waiting on the other side. And that's sort of the point of the book, right? That you find the freedom when you're there. I want to make sure to talk about that. You find the freedom. And, I, and you know, to be honest, I'm not 100% there. It's still, you know, we've been conditioned our entire lives as women to put on some lipstick, put on your earrings, don't look like a troll when you go to the grocery store. Like you, it's not like I'm trying to get men's attention, but it's just part of our conditioning that we try to look presentable and nice. And of course, that's good for society too. We shouldn't just go on airplanes in pajamas like many people do. Ah, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. I did not get that memo. You're saying we're not supposed to do that? Oh my God. They're comfy. You know what I write in the tunic essay, it's very tongue in cheek, but it's like, I'm just going to drape myself in two to three yards of magenta linen because nobody's looking my way anyway. So I might as well be comfortable for the first time in my life. Yeah, it's I'm grappling with it still to somewhat. I don't care if I'm going to impress anybody at a concert at Austin City Limits. But then another part of me is like, oh, well, if you take a photograph of me, make sure you put a lot of filter on there. Go up high. Go up high. Go up high. Oh, my God. Nobody ever gets that. I've, I've yelled at so many waiters lately. I'm like, get that up high. Don't take that at belly level. Come on, people. We don't want to come underneath. You talk about it, this feeling of invisibility, and you captured it really well, talking about disappearing in your own house. And it's not just the idea of, oh, the male gaze, and it's you're not as attractive anymore to passing men. But this idea of disappearing from life, I think, is something that a lot of women struggle with at middle age. These kids who we develop devoted so much time and effort to, are more independent, don't need us anymore. Our spouses are often, they're busy and they, they didn't take time off and they're traveling and making deals or whatever the heck they do. This idea of disappearing, like how do you combat that feeling? That's a really good question. And it's very relevant to me right now because I'm in a recent empty nester. I've, both my sons are away at school and I've noticed it on the Facebook parents page where Many parents are overly involved. And I know I will say with grace, they all have their reasons. You know, there's anxiety. I don't know all of these kids' lives, but there's an, an over-involvement to me that is surprising. And my parents didn't have that when I was in school. And I have to think it's 
they're maybe feeling invisible and they're trying to be more relevant and they're trying to still hang on to helping their kids like they've been doing for the past 18 years. So that was kind of a cautionary tale to me when I noticed women doing this a few years ago. And that's why I'm like, I need to have something that's for me. I need to have a book. I need to have my writing. Even if it's going to be block walking for a candidate I support or volunteering for a campaign, I need to have something that isn't just me wandering around the house, dressing up the cat and feeling lost and waiting for grandchildren. I mean, it's a fine right. pastime, but yes, you might need a little more. I recommend any woman whose kids are even in middle school or getting up to high school, like just have it in your head. What's going to be my next act? Like you said, Amy, what am I going to do after this? Am I going to go back to school? Just something for yourself. And approach it with excitement, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's scary, an emptying nest. It can be scary in a way, but it is. It's a huge opportunity. And I just want to make sure that we end with some optimism that there is once we get to the other side of like, yeah, whatever, right? This is who I am now. This is the age I am now. I'm a lot smarter. I have a lot more time and effort and wisdom to offer. And here's what I'm going to put it towards, that there's choice there instead of gee, I hope my grandchildren come visit me one of these days. There's something mm. you can do with this. Because they want to see the cat's outfit. <laughs> right. There's <laughs> only so interesting a cat could be. <laughs> That's right. You know, I'm, I wouldn't go back as you opened with me sobbing on my 30th birthday. I wouldn't go back to being 30 if you paid me. Well, maybe if you paid me a lot, but I wouldn't because I like the person I am so much better now that I'm in middle age than I did back then. And it's all the experience. And like you said, the wisdom gained and the just shaping myself into a fully formed adult. I think I'm a much better person than I was when I was 30. I hopefully will be a better person at 60 than I was at age 50. And it's just continuing to grow and being curious about the world and meeting even more interesting people. And yeah, I think it's a great time of life. And I think the humor of so much of the book comes from perspective. And that's the gift of middle age, really. It's like you're able to laugh at it and you're able to be like, oh my God, these people see me as a crazy uh, swamp hag because you know that there's something unvaluable about that. I think at 30, and you capture this really well, when you're 30 or even 40 and the mom is like, well, my kid has enough friends and we don't need friends right now. At 50, you're like, oh, I get where that piece fits in the big puzzle. I no longer define my life as am I being good enough for other people? It's the joy and the comfort of being able to define my life the way I want it to be. Exactly. that You nailed it. I love how you said all of that. That's it exactly. I don't have that insecurity about making my way through the world anymore. When you're like that, your circle gets bigger. And I have a bit in there about making friends in middle age, which can be daunting, but it's also been the most rewarding part of my adulthood, really, is finding and befriending people who I always meant to be friends with. I think I think that's bad grammar. But it's true. <laughs> yes, it really is. The book is kind of like a it's like a love letter to female friendships because this journey that starts like sobbing I'm old at 30 is celebrating at 50 with this women's tribe that you found and created and the comfort in that is really rich and deep as opposed to the like oh my god if I can just be like the other moms they'll let me sit at their table. Yeah, it's finding your your own group. And again, going back to blogging, which was so integral for all of us, I can trace like that led to me meeting this person that led to blah, blah, blah. But it's just to me so valuable to support 
other women and befriend other women and give them opportunities, uh, which is, like I said earlier, that's how I got the job I have. It's through friends sharing their opportunities and their wisdom. And I don't want to do a men versus women, but I don't know that men do it as much. They're more maybe competitive and maybe younger women are more competitive, but middle-aged women were just what the hell? We're all in this together. So let's support each other. Let's celebrate each other. Let's just have fun. I mean, at this point, we don't care if Becky's stealing so-and-so's man because she has on a bandage dress. We're like, who cares? <laughs> We're just going to sit here and have our queso and our drinks and tell jokes and make each other laugh. And that's, to me, the beauty of this age. We've been talking to Wendy Ahrens. Her brand new book is I'm Wearing Tunics Now on Growing Older, Better, and a Hell of a Lot Louder. So Wendy, tell our listeners where they can find you. I'm at wendyarons.com. It's a terrible website that I haven't updated. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Take a look. Get right over there. And I'm on Twitter at Wendy Aarons and also on Instagram. All right. We'll put a link to uh, the bookshop link to buy Wendy's book and the letter to always. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes too. Wendy, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks for having me. This is so such an honor to be here. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.